Welcome to this special preview of the latest patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast. If you like what you hear and you want to listen to the rest of this episode, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia and become a patron with $5 or more per month. The link is found in the show notes below. In the meantime, please enjoy this preview. Hi everybody, welcome along to the Monday edition of the Patrons Only episode of the Dispatches podcast. It is great to be back with you again. And today we're going to be talking about some current affairs, uh, news stories that have been making the news over the last week or two or three or maybe even more, but a bit of a roundup of a few things. And I thought today we would start with some really good news and then talk about a couple of uh, what, what what shall we call them? Maybe more challenging stories through the middle. And then we'll end with uh, a bit of uh, comedic news. Or maybe some of you will find the final story funny. I, I thought it was a, a more lighthearted one to end on. But let's start with the, the story that I thought was really a great news story, well worth uh, focusing on. And that is that there's been this historic uh, incident of fetal surgery that has happened in the United States. Let me read to you from the article. Uh, because I think this is what, something that is absolutely well worth celebrating. Kenyatta Coleman walked into her doctor's office in February, excited for her ultrasound. For 30 weeks, Coleman's unborn child had developed normally. She decided to name her Denver and celebrate with a shower the next month. But all of Coleman's plans changed that day. The ultrasound showed the fetus had brain abnormalities and an enlarged heart. By the way, did you notice that the uh, how they start by talking about her unborn child, but then when they sort of get into the technical specifics of ultrasound and, and what's actually happening in the womb in a more generic way that it would, it would actually apply to everybody and every pregnancy, they start using the word the fetus or the phrase the fetus. It's a very interesting dehumanizing tactic. Fetus, by the way, is simply a Latin word. It means little one or little child. It's not as dehumanizing as some people think it is, but it is definitely a dehumanizing tactic to try and use that phrase. And you see this so very clearly. Whenever you see stories about like good news stories or maybe things like fetal alcohol syndrome, you will see unborn child is used a lot. Whenever you see stories about abortion, they don't talk about the unborn child, they talk about the fetus. Clear dehumanizing tactic. And what's interesting here is they slip into talking about the fetus when they start talking about the ultrasound. And I have a suspicion that the reason they've done that is because when you start talking about an ultrasound that's done on an unborn child, then all of a sudden that ultrasound, it's a familiar technology, it applies to everyone who's pregnant, and what it means is that every situation where you've got an unborn child in a womb involves an unborn child, including situations where the child is unwanted, and there might be a possibility of abortion, and I think this is where the sort of the pro-choice ideology starts to kick in, and so there's this uh, intense desire on the part of some to protect the pro-choice approach to abortion. And so all of a sudden, they slip back into talking about the fetus because, you know, lots of people have ultrasounds and then sadly those situations end in abortion. Anyway, let me carry on. I could be wrong about that, but it it just seems a little strange that you start with unborn child and then all of a sudden you're, you're suddenly talking about the fetus. 
Doctors in Baton Rouge diagnose the unborn baby. And there we go. Literally, the very next sentence, they're back to talking about an unborn baby. Isn't that interesting? Doctors in Baton Rouge diagnose the unborn baby with a vein of gallon malformation, a rare pre-birth condition, and a 1% chance of survival. Babies with the condition can suffer from severe brain damage, heart failure, and cognitive disabilities due to excess blood flow to those organs, but many die soon after they're born. So it's pretty serious. You know, I don't know, does it get any more serious than that? You're diagnosed with this extremely serious condition and you're told, look, your child has a 1% chance of surviving. I've had friends who have been in that situation uh, and sadly have lost children. Uh, One friend of mine, they, they lost the child immediately after it was born. It was a very harrowing and sorrowful time for them, but also uh, my friend talked about the fact that it was a very beautiful form of suffering as well. No one wanted it. It wasn't enjoyable to go through, but there was also great beauty in that pathos and uh, profound and important things happened in the midst of that sadness as well. Um, But yeah, no one would want to be in this situation where you're told, look, your child's got a 1% chance of survival. It's like, this is really serious, very, very serious uh, the extreme end of a diagnosis that you wouldn't want to get uh, when you are expecting and joyfully waiting for an unborn child to be born. Treatment for a vein of gallon malformation usually occurs after childbirth, but doctors gave Denver a 1% chance of surviving as she suffered from a severe case. However, they informed Coleman about a clinical trial Boston doctors were hoping to launch. Darren Orbach, the co-director of Boston Children's Hospital's Cerebrovascular Surgery and Intervention Centre, has treated many babies with vein of gallon malformations, but became discouraged by the lack of reliable procedures. In recent years, Orbach's colleagues have inserted a needle into unborn babies' hearts to fix some conditions. In 2017, Orbach wondered if a similar procedure could be applied to a fetus's brain. Here they go again using the word a fetus. Very interesting, isn't it? They're switching between the two. In late 2020, Orbach said he and colleagues developed an experiment to adjust and connect arteries with the correct veins using a needle in an unborn baby's brain. And there we go, back into unborn baby. Gosh, this is a very weird flipping between the two. Maybe maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe it's just a journalist who didn't want to keep repeating the phrase unborn baby for whatever reason. I don't know. Anyway, interesting. On March 15, Coleman reclined on a Brigham and Woman's Hospital bed and listened to gospel music through her earbuds while undergoing the procedure. Using ultrasound footage to guide them, doctors guided a needle through Coleman's uterus and into the back of the unborn baby's skull. After doctors blocked a large vein that connected her arteries in the fetus's brain, Coleman watched doctors pull the needle out of her unborn child's skull to finish a successful surgery. Still, Orbach was unsure if the procedure would improve the baby's health. That was assessed March 17th when Coleman went into labour. Denver was born at 1.8 kg, but for a few moments she wasn't breathing. Then Denver started crying. That's always a great sound to hear. If you've ever been in a maternity ward in a hospital room when a child is born, that is a really, really great sound to hear. 
Uh, the louder the cry, the better. The more powerful those lungs are, uh, are working. It's always a great thing. When Coleman returned home April 19, her living room was filled with gifts friends and family members bought from the couple's registry. Coleman takes Denver to doctor appointments almost every day, but the newborn has remained healthy. I look at her, just admiring her fingers and her toes with facial features, Coleman said. And every time she cries or every noise that she makes, it's like, wow, we have a baby in our home. What an awesome story, eh? What an absolutely amazing story. And I thought it was just great to start with some good news. My wife often challenges me about this when we uh, prepare for our monthly episode of the Little Flock podcast. And she says, man, we need to find some good news stories to talk about. And she's not wrong at all. (laughs) And it often feels like the tendency uh, in these situations is to talk only about the sort of shocking, scandalous, discouraging challenging, uh, over the top, whatever it might be. You know, the stuff that's, uh, shall we say, just a a little bit more uh, confronting. But, uh, you know, it's good, I think, to be reminded that there are some amazing and beautiful examples of science and technology in action that are actually serving the good. And this is a really profound example of that because I think so much of science and technology uh, very easily falls into uh, behaviors that are detached or devoid from um, good, sound ethical practice. Well, they're not governed by it. And and here's an example of something where the, the science is just so clearly at the service of the good. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful outcome. You know, this historic surgery and a 1% chance of survival, and that baby is alive today. It's absolutely amazing. And I think what it does is it really draws into perhaps stark relief, the the nature or the completely unjustified nature of our modern pro-abortion extremism that saturates our culture. I said this, I was it on Friday actually I said this, or I know I've said this on a previous recent episode, that we are living in a period of history where we have the least justification at all for uh, using abortion. And because of the fact that we have all this amazing technology at our disposal and we just don't have situations where you can perhaps, you know, 200 years ago you would have had regular situations where, you know, it would have uh, been touted abortion would have been the only sort of way to solve a problem. We just don't have those situations today. And in fact, we see in situations like this where, you know, you, you have this ability to go into a womb before the child is even born and conduct surgeries and we've been doing this for a couple of decades now so this is not recent and yet at the same time we've we've got that going on we've also got the most extreme uh, approach to abortion that we've ever had the most permissive uh, practice and normalization and even now celebration not just normalization but celebration of the deliberate ending of life in the womb and it's quite a confronting and stark thing that this is happening. And there's no doubt in my mind that what you see here is the there's a very interesting thing at play here around uh, liberalism, the notion of radical, autonomous, self-choosing individuals who will choose for themselves, a permissive law which has given way on this front, and has not said, you know, that we must actually protect the good of human life, that human life is sacred. We no longer have laws that really recognize that outside of um, perhaps uh, post-birth homicide laws. 
you know, um, or assault as well, but but laws that would apply after you're born, but before that, there's sort of this no, uh, there's no consistent and absolute vision for the sacredness of human life that then underpins everything. It's it's very arbitrary, is what I'm saying. It's applied at one point and then it's completely rejected at another. And so you've got this ideology, you've got this permissiveness, and also you've got this technological power that allows us, I guess, to get away with um, in a very sanitized way or seemingly sanitized way uh, the deliberate killing of unborn human beings it's it's a very uh it's interesting in a um not a good way it's interesting in a, in a I think in a very confronting kind of way um you know the, the the challenge of what this all means but in the midst of this this you know these crazy extremes and this uh, lack of moral good, you see moments like this of profound goodness and profound wonder. And it really does, I think, give us this beautiful, beautiful example of what science and technology can be. That the technology is not the problem, it's the the lack of, and C.S. Lewis warned about this, by the way, that, that you have, if you have a science that becomes detached from uh, a moral framework, you're in real trouble. And he was very clear that basically human beings would end up becoming the material that would be experimented on. They would become the subjects, the unwilling and often unvolunteered subjects of that particular scientific ideology. And it would very quickly fall into scientism, you know, this elevation of science and technology and and those who have the power to wield such things. And we definitely saw that during the pandemic, right? The Oh, the expert class became like high priests, sort of thing. Who, you know, who couldn't ever be even challenged or questioned, and they were effectively running the show. And the politicians took a back seat. It was very, very interesting that whole period of history. But there, in the, in the midst of all of that, there's this beautiful, beautiful good news story: one percent chance of survival, historic surgery carried out in the womb, and a, a beautiful child is alive today because of it. What an awesome, awesome thing! Thanks for listening to this preview of our patrons-only podcast. To unlock the full version of this episode, plus get access to over 12 hours of new and exclusive patrons-only content every single month, simply become a $5 monthly patron at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is found in the show notes below. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies, and I'll see you next time on The Dispatches.